Bed of Courage is about you and me. It's about ordinary people aspiring to live their best, most authentic life by overcoming vulnerability and fear. It's about finding our courage and sharing our stories and discovering in the process that we're a lot more similar than we are dissimilar. Bite of Courage is about hope, about connecting with others, about choosing love over fear and having the courage to be who we're truly meant to be. Bite of Courage is about us. My guest today on Bite of Courage is Dr. Allison Kessler-Veer. One of her specialties as a doctor is physiatry, also known as physical medicine and rehabilitation. She also specializes in neurological rehabilitation and spinal cord injury medicine. Currently, she is the inpatient attending physician at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, formerly the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago in the Division of Spinal Cord Injury Medicine, and she's an assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation for Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine. Wow. That's a mouthful. That is a mouthful, <laughs> and you are amazing. Gosh, Allison. I mean, I knew that, and I'm still blown away just reading it. It's so cool. <laughs> it's also not a coincidence that Dr. Kessler Veer and I share the same last name, the Veer part anyway. She is married to my husband's nephew, Ben, and they have a beautiful, beautiful baby girl named Brooke. Since we've married into this gigantic family and have kids of our own, it's kind of <laughs> difficult to have a conversation without some sort of in- interruption, right? <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah. And of course, now that I've said that out loud, it kind of sounds like I started this podcast so I could talk to people without interruptions. But Kidding aside, one of the reasons I... Hey, that's a nice, that's a nice excuse. Isn't it though? Because otherwise... It is. Otherwise our children would be off to college before we could finish a conversation. Well, one of the reasons I have always had you in mind about coming on to Bite of Courage, Allison, is because you have an incredible story and one that continues to inspire me, both our families and our friends, and I'm sure your patients now too. So welcome to Bite of Courage, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. One of the questions I like to ask all of my guests at the top of every show is, can you tell me what your definition of courage is? (laughs) I was worried that you would ask me that, and I didn't want to be asked that. (laughs) Well, welcome to Bite of Courage. I so it's funny you asked when you first when you asked me to be on on it with you I thought wow that'd be really great mostly like you said I really look forward to just kind of having a chance to talk to you and have some unfettered time Um, but then I was thinking about it and I know the name of the podcast so bite of courage and I turned to Ben and I said but courage isn't really a word that I ever really apply to myself there are lots of words that I think about but for me, really, it's just it's not one of the words that has ever like personally resonated. I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so when I was thinking about it, then I was like, well, what does she mean by courage? <laughs> and I was I was kind of going down that rabbit hole in my mind. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times I think of the more traditional definition of courage when the word pops into my mind. And that would be, you know, bravery in the face of something that scares you or is difficult or something like that. Um, 
But I think that there is another version of bravery, which is really just kind of more perseverance in the face of adversity. And, you know, I think I go to the classic meaning first in my mind, and that's the one that I never really resonated as much with. But I like the other meaning a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I have never really ascribed that word to myself either, which might seem kind of ironic that I would start a podcast called Fight <laughs> of Courage, but it's because I haven't ever really ascribed that word to myself. And I know that I need a lot of courage just sometimes to get through life because it's tough. So I've learned anyway through recovery, if I see the way other people are living and I see that they have serenity and, they, and they're walking the walk and talking the talk, I want to learn what how they do that so that I can have, have access to that stuff too. Cause that's the good stuff. Right. So, Absolutely. yeah. So I, I agree with you. Well, just because you brought it up, I'll tell you what, uh, one, one of my favorite definitions is from a, one of my favorite authors, Brene Brown. I'm sure you've probably heard of her. She's a the social yep. science researcher and her definition. She gives my favorite one, which is to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. The most accurate measure of courage, she says, is letting ourselves be seen as we truly are, which means we have to be willing to be vulnerable. And I think you're the epitome of that because because of the story and the struggles that you've experienced to get to this place in your life today, which I think is so incredible. So with that in mind, I think that I think that is very funny that you would say vulnerable because I'm pretty sure that most people that know me would say that that is probably not something I'm very good at. at well, all. I, I <laughs> and I can, I can see why, but I've had the luxury of getting to know you personally. And I, we've had some really wonderfully intimate conversations where you sort of just open up and you're, I mean, Allison, you came to see me last year on your way up to the farm and I was in the hospital and you didn't have to stop and see me, but you're a doctor, you're passionate, you have this incredible bedside manner, which I was lucky enough to be able to see in that situation as a patient. But, you know, I saw a side of you that was this warm, tender side of you. And I but I but I've also seen that personally, like being around our family. So don't underestimate. That's yourself. true. That's true. On a on a one on one, and certainly in a family situation, then I would say, I think that's, that's what makes me laugh is that to the outside world, they don't see that. But what other people don't realize is I am a huge softy on the inside. I'm a big ball of goo. Oh, huge. <laughs> huge. And I've seen that side of you. So, and I've struggled with that too. Just, I mean, I had a great therapist one time that kind of helped me turn my life around who said, Mo, you're going to have to trust me when I tell you that the perception that you have of yourself is very different than the perception others have of you. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so I I totally relate to you on that level too. One of the things I would love to, with that definite definition in mind, can you tell me about a time in your life when you needed that kind of courage, when you needed courage the most? In which, in which way? Well, I'd love specifically to talk about your accident. And I think that would be a good starting point to sort of launch from because that was a defining moment in your life that changed your entire life. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is, it is funny because it was, it was so long ago now in the sense that um, it was the middle of being a teenager. And I think if anybody thinks back to high school, Think about how much you changed in those four years and just what kind of a defining moment it was in your life and kind of 
figuring out who you were. And I don't think I realized it then, but I think what I realized a lot later and when I think back to it now is that my injury happened right in the middle of trying to figure out who I was. In the middle and of I think, adolescence. Right. And so I it was a month before my 16th birthday. Um, and I was with my boyfriend at the time. And I ended up uh, going off of a ski jump and landing wrong on my back. And I was immediately paralyzed. Immediately. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was laying on the slope and yelling at everybody saying, don't let me be paralyzed. I looked down and I couldn't move anything. I mean, I knew I'm not, I'm not an unsmart kid. And, uh, so did you, you know, you my dad, landed... my dad's a neurologist and I knew what was going on immediately. So you landed uh, right on your back. Yeah. So I landed. So I actually, I ended up flipping upside down. Um, but I was a diver on the diving team and a former gymnast. So I knew enough to know I was in the very wrong position. If I landed that way, I would have landed directly on my head and my neck. Mm. Um, so I was able to kind of throw myself forward and tuck into a ball, which meant that I landed directly on my back. Um, and then obviously as soon as I came to a stop, I looked down and tried to uncross my legs that were crossed, but I wasn't able to uncross them. So, mm. um, and I immediately couldn't move anything. So, and what part of your spine is, is affected? Like how, you know, why is it that sometimes people land flat on their back and they're not paralyzed and you happen to land in exactly the wrong spot? Yeah, it's not a single spot. So see, now this is where it starts to blur. So you asked me a question that also has to go with my, my job and kind of the doctor side of my brain. So I, I kind of have to try to find a way to explain it somewhere in the middle. Um, the best way of saying it is that, you know, the spinal cord itself are the nerves that go through the middle of the spinal column, which is the bony part. And so what can happen when you land wrong or when you have a car accident or something else, those bones can move and the ligaments that hold them together can rupture. And it depends how much they move, how much of the spinal cord itself gets damaged. So for me, I completely dislocated one vertebrae on top of another, mm. meaning one of the bones moved completely off the bone below. So if you think about that, the spinal cord is supposed to be going in between the bones. So if you rip them completely off of one another, you've completely smushed the nerves that are supposed to be going through there. Do so. You, so when I ask you about this, is that something that you, can you go back to that feeling inside of you that you felt laying there? Like, does that, I know that it's been such a long time, maybe the emotion is removed out of it, but can you remember the feeling of pain or did your la life flash before you? What were some of the things, how, and how much shock were you in? Like, Oh, no, whatever. I can still remember. I never lost, Fortunately or unfortunately, as the case may be, I never lost consciousness or hit my head. So, no, I remember the entire thing. Um, you know, as I said, I landed. I was in a severe amount of pain. Obviously, I fractured my back. So, like any fracture, it's extremely painful. And um, as I said, you know, I just remember laying on the slope and looking down and trying to uncross my legs and they wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. Um, and at that point, that's where I said, you know, I, um, I knew pretty much instantly what had happened. And that was where I started crying and just saying, you know, don't let me be paralyzed. Don't let me be paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Mostly because, as I said, I knew what the outcome was already. Um, but you don't want to believe it in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's painful to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so painful to hear you talk about that. Sorry. 
okay. So you make me cry now. <laughs> oh gosh, Allison. So you were a few months shy of turning sixteen. Where how where were your parents at the time? Was this when you were out east or like what? Um, they had just moved to Chicago about six months before that. <laughs> Um, but I was still on the East Coast. So, so no, dad, I was probably... is, is that when your dad came to work, start working at Northwestern and your mom? Too? Yeah. So he had taken he had taken a job as the new chairman of the neurology department for Northwestern. So he and my mom moved out to Chicago at the time I was already in boarding school uh, in New England. So I stayed back east. But my mom actually, so my dad took the job, but I was still finishing grade school. So my mom actually stayed with me for an extra six months while my dad moved out to Chicago and they renovated the house they bought um, so that I could finish grade school and not kind of have that, you know, last year disrupted. So my mom stayed with me when my dad moved out here and then I went to boarding school and then my mom went out to Chicago and joined my dad. So I had already done one year of high school. Mm. So this was my second year of high school. So halfway through my second year. So Clearly, you were taken to the closest hospital there. Did you end up flying to Chicago? What was the next step in your... No, so they ended up doing surgery back on the East Coast. um, And then by the time I woke up from surgery, then both of my parents and my brothers had all come out. My brothers were still on the East Coast at the time. I think two were in New York and one was in uh, Connecticut. Um, Or one might have been in Boston, one New York, one Connecticut. I can't remember exactly, but... Um, so they all came to Connecticut. That's where I was. And then my parents flew out at that point. Um, and then, or I was going to say, I spent about three days or so, uh, after surgery on the East coast. And then they ended up having an air ambulance, bring me out here to Chicago to do my rehabilitation at the rehab Institute of Chicago. Um, which obviously is where I work now, though we just opened a new facility two years ago now with a new name a couple of blocks away. So um, so in the past two years now, we work at a different facility. But for a while there, I was working at the old facility where I had done my rehab. It's amazing how you've come full circle, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So back to that time, if you will indulge our listeners for a minute, <laughs> because again, this is about courage and you obviously were delivered some very painful news on top of the pain that you were feeling physically. Do you remember hearing the, those words for the first time, Allison, you'll never be able to walk again or you realized what was, I don't know, mostly because I, the first time I heard the words were in my own head. So I'm not sure I remember the first time anyone else said it to me because I think I knew it before anybody said it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you you know me, I'm nothing if not pragmatic. <laughs> um, and I think I I think, as I said, I don't remember anyone else telling me because I think I already knew. I do know how pragmatic you are. And I feel like knowing your parents and both your mom and dad are doctors and your whole family seems quite pragmatic. You're definitely like that. It's like, here's a problem. Let's work in the solution. There's no point in dwelling here. Let's move on. Was it always like that after your accident? Did your parents and your family, did they just shift into like, okay, how are we going to make this better? And the reason I ask it is because as pragmatic as one can be, myself included, you have to give yourself the time to process and go through the healing. So at some point you have to deal with the emotional trauma of this. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think yes and no. So my mom, obviously, you're a mother. If you think about your 15-year-old having something horrible happen to them where they're now paralyzed and the life they thought they were going to have or that you thought they were going to have, I mean, your kids are about the same age I was at that point. So um, I don't know, as a mom, if you could think about having to have that phone call, I'm pretty sure my mom is still traumatized from that. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't know that my mom sort of went that route. I think that my dad, you know, that's the only way he knew how to help me and to make it better was to do it that way. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Um, what I also have to say is that to my parents' credit, they kind of gave me the space to decide how I wanted to do it myself. Mm. Um, and I think that that was important because I think you could go either way. And I think, again, as you also know me, I'm not the kind of kid. I wasn't the kind of kid that you could order to do something. Um, <laughs> Probably no teenager is, but you in particular, I'm sure. So, right. But no, no 15 year old girl is going to take kindly to being told what to do. So I think, you know, what the nice thing was is, look, I'm not going to say that it was all peaches and sunshine. I'm not going to say it's still peaches and sunshine. Right. Um, you know, there were obviously grieving, you know, one of the quotes that I like, uh, I should, I should have looked it up ahead of time, but, um, it's, it's basically that grieving is the loss of the future that you're never going to have now. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one of the hardest things was knowing that what I had envisioned is no longer possible. Yeah. Um, and that's a really hard thing to say, to say it's off the table, right? There are certain things that, that I wanted to do that, it doesn't matter if you can't walk or, you know, at the time I loved playing lacrosse and, you know, just some of the things that you envision for yourself going forward aren't there anymore. They're off the table. So that's hard. Um, at the same time, you know, what's funny is the first thing that I asked my dad when I woke up was not about walking. I asked him if I could still have kids. And I, I took my, my dad still laughs about it. Cause he's like, I was so confused. He's like, I thought you would ask me anything. <laughs> he's like, I don't know where that question. I don't know. I had just woken up from anesthesia. It's not like, I know what I was thinking. I don't wow. remember. But he said that that was the first thing I asked. And as I said, there were a lot of things that I lost and a lot of coming to terms with that, that I had to do. And as I said, as a teenager, you know, I, pretty much none of my friends that I had before talked to me afterwards. So I had to redo all of that and find my identity again and all of those things. Um, but at the same time for me anyway, and this goes back to the pragmatic, the pragmatic side of my brain in my mind, it was sort of like, look, you have two options. You can crawl into the hole and mope and be depressed and nobody would blame me for it. Right. I could have not gone back to boarding school on the East Coast. I could have just stayed here in Chicago. I could have moped around the house and done nothing. But in my mind, I was like, is that really going to be a better life than if I do it the other way? And so for me, what I said was, I want to go back to school as soon as possible. And is it going to be perfect? No, but at least I can get some normalcy back. At least I can do something. And so when some people sometimes say to me like, oh, I don't know how you did it. I would never be able to do it if I were you. My answer is usually like, well, if you were me, you would have. Why? Because you don't really have a choice, right? You have two choices. 
what's the alternative? Crawl in a hole and die? And that's not really acceptable to me. So I was like, you know, obviously I grieved for the things that I lost, but at the same time, there's still a lot there and there's still a lot that I knew that I could do. And there was no way I was going to be able to do those things or get back the things I hadn't lost, but I would have lost if I had not. Mm. Does that kind of make sense? That's beautiful. Like if I lost 50% of it, I don't want to lose the other 50% too. And so the only way to not lose the other things is to suck it up and And fight (laughs) back. And fight back. And, and accept. So, right? I mean, that okay. part was gone. I can't fix I said, there, like you said, there are some things that you just can't change. And I, those are not the things you can control. So you have to do the things that you can control. Yeah. Yeah. And your your parents in particular, and I'm sure your siblings, I mean, you have you had such a great support system and network, which is wonderful. One of the things I was wondering, too, listening, obviously, you're very pragmatic and this what what was the alternative and that wasn't acceptable to you there's a process that we have to go through in order to be able to accept things for how they really are and move forward was there a time though you talked about grieving and and having to go through that process was there a time where you thought i no i can't do it i give up did you ever feel suicidal did you ever feel like throwing in the towel was that ever did that ever cross your mind? Sometimes our mind can go there when things are that painful or traumatic. I don't honestly remember ever really thinking that. Did it ever cross my mind? I'm sure it might have, but not enough that I can say, yes, I remember really contemplating that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it was more for me just being a pissed off teenager. (laughs) Like I think it was more just being a teenager and being like, this sucks. (laughs) Um, but I don't think I ever went that route with it. Did you know that you were going to get into medicine or do you think this accident might've spurred you in that direction? Um, I was always interested in medicine. Um, for a long time, I thought I'd be a vet though. (laughs) Um, so I think that, um, part of having experienced, so a lot of people can go a very long time in their life without truly experiencing healthcare, if that makes sense. Um, and it, or at least how healthcare is practiced in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when I was contemplating a career and thinking about what are my strengths and I, and this goes back to the pragmatic side, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and where can I make the most impact and where can I be the most effective and, and really just the best that I can be. Um, and I think for me, when I was thinking about, well, what would I really truly excel at and where do I have something that other people don't have where I can really use that to help people? And I think having been through my injury and having to be on that side of the other side of healthcare, um, there are a lot of people who go through medical school or who become doctors who have never been on the other side. And I felt that having been on the other side, it would really give me a different perspective and allow me to practice medicine in a way where I could connect with my patients a little bit more. So I think I had always been interested in science and medicine. And um, as I said, I was sort of contemplating the vet field. But after my own injury, I thought, you know, having had that experience would really allow me to be a better people physician. 
Well, and I, th- I think there's no escaping the fact that your empathy is exponentially better than most because of it. You're dealing now with patients with spinal cord injuries and helping them to rehabilitate, and they can't look at you and say, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know what I, I mean, mean? You've been there. Yes and no. I mean, yes and no. And this is this is the fine line. In some ways, yes. I'm obviously going to be able to understand certain aspects of what my patients are going through in a way that somebody who hasn't been through something similar can't truly understand. Right. But on the flip side, you know, sometimes I have patients or, or actually a lot of times it's like patients' family members who want me to tell a patient how I did things or, well, look how successful you've been. So you make them do that too, or make them, you know, and that's the part where I say, you know, everybody's journey is different and my journey is not their journey. And what happened to me is not what happened to them. And my support network is not their support network. And my beliefs and the things that drive me and the things that make me happy they're not the same. And so what I have to tell people is, yes, on the one side, yes, I understand some of the things in a way that other people can't. But on the other side, I don't want to take that too far because I really want everyone to understand that everybody's journey through the rehabilitate or everybody's journey after a catastrophic injury and through the rehabilitation process and through their reintegration into their lives is different. And each one is unique and each one comes with its own, you know, positives and negatives. And and we have to navigate those waters together. And I can't tell them how to do it because everybody's their own, you know, their own unique cosmopolitan nature of how they're raised and what they believe in and who's around them. And so my job, I feel like, is to try to just help them navigate those waters and support them in any way that I can, but not necessarily tell them how to do it because I can't tell them how to do it. Right. I'm so glad that you bring that up because one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is to talk to people, hear their stories, and demonstrate that really, we all struggle, we all have a story, we all suffer, pain and suffering is, you know, that's part of life. And, and the goal for me is to minimize that to the degree that that I can. But we also know as parents, like, I might be able to minimize my children's pains, but they have to go through these things. It's it's how they shape who they become. And one of the things I just talked about to someone last week and trying to help them through things is that it's what you just said, and I think it's a great example of why the this principle is so important, whether it's a catastrophic injury, a spinal cord injury. For me, it was my journey of recovery. The principle being that my pain is no, it's not better or worse than or greater or less than yours. Right. It's It's not separate. And we all have to take our own journey. I can offer suggestions. I might be able to offer hope. And I can give you talk about my experience, strength and hope, but that's all I can do talk about my experience and whatever you can glean from that, that might make your journey a little softer, a little easier is all I can do. So I just, I think that's such an incredible 
I don't think a lot of people, doctors included, I don't know that a lot of people have that insight. I, I love that as a doctor, you bring that to your work because to me, that's a more holistic approach. I think those people are very lucky to have a doctor like that. No. Well, that's, I mean, that's people ask me, well, do you tell your patients how you did it or or what you, and I'm like, no, all they have to do is see me come into their room and then I'm there as their doctor in a wheelchair. And to me, that tells them all they need to know about my journey is that I'm here. I'm here. I'm a doctor. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I have a smile on my face most days, not every day, but most days I'm a pretty smiley person. And to me, That is the best thing that I can show them because, like you said, I can't tell them how to do it. All I can do is say, I made it, so you can too, so let's find a way to help you make it with whatever we have. Yeah, that is so cool. One of the other things I would love to ask you, I think that you've probably been asked an inordinate amount of times questions that are either annoying or hurtful. Uh, and I think part of the reason for that is because people are afraid. I think seeing a person in a wheelchair makes us overlook what's really important sometimes. Have you felt that way? Do you feel like maybe or even early on, maybe now, are there experiences where people ask you questions, you're like, that's such a stupid question, or it's just awkward. There's judgment, I think. Oh, I mean, every every single day. Um, people with disabilities in the United States are not, um, not treated very well. Let me just, you know, um, I can't tell you how many times I've been out somewhere where people either overlook you or you go to a restaurant and they ask the person I'm with, does she want to stay in her chair? You know, not talk directly to me, but talk around me, Mm. um, I was on an airplane and they asked for a doctor and I was the only doctor on the plane. And, you know, not only do I look young because I was wearing a sweatshirt and had no makeup on or anything. Mm-hmm. I was on vacation. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, they the flight attendant had brought me onto the plane with the wheelchair. So they were, you know, for a while they were like, oh, uh, well, there's a nurse in the back. We'll just have her go see the patient. So I was like, OK. I'm going to sit back and eat my omelet and watch my TV show then. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, and this is not anything against nurses. I love my nurses, but ultimately they, you know, did end up needing me to go back and, and help triage the patient. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, anybody with a physical disability is often overlooked as somehow less than or not yeah. given the same gravitas. So yeah, I would say that that happens kind of on a daily basis, less so at my work. Yeah. Uh, But you know, out out in the real world, I would say yes. Yeah. Can you, because I think it's really important to hear from somebody like you who is to who has this kind of disability. Can you offer any suggestions or insights about what is or maybe what isn't helpful to say or to ask somebody when they're talking to somebody in a wheelchair or somebody who has a disability? Because I think people with disabilities are just as dynamic and diverse as anybody else in the world. How what suggestions can you give us that would help bridge that gap? I I think treat them like you would treat any other human being that you want to get to know. Um, You know, you don't walk up to someone and say, oh, how do you feel about having such dusky colored blonde hair? (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) you know, or, oh, how do you feel about the fact that you have to wear glasses to be able to read something? 
you know, it sounds silly when I say it that way, but to me, when you say, well, how do you feel about having to use the wheelchair? I'm like, you know, I don't don't really understand the question. Right. Um, And I think sometimes in one sense, I, I feel like maybe let's say you're going out to dinner. I think social life would be most difficult. You don't want to impose on people. And at the same time, you want to be treated like everyone else. The reverse of that is I don't want to be overly helpful because I don't want to diminish. I want you to feel empowered and I don't know where somebody's at if they're in a wheelchair. So is there a way in that instance to be able to read that scenario? Yeah, I think take cues from the person. I think it's always it's always fine to offer or ask a question, assuming that the way you ask it is not in a demeaning way. Mm-hmm. If you ask the person like, oh, do you need help with that? That's very different than saying it's a very condescending way of saying it. Right. But Mm -hmm. you can ask the same question and say, hey, I've never been here with you before. Let me know if you need anything. Right. Yeah. They're the same. They're the same question. You're both you're you're in both of them. You're offering your assistance should it be needed. And in both of them, you're saying, I don't know if you need help or not, but there's just, there's a different way of asking it. And I think personally for me, I don't mind if somebody asks, assuming that they're asking, saying, or even if they acknowledge that, Hey, this may be a really awkward question. I don't know if I'm supposed to help you or not. If you need help, let me know. If not, great. Now I'm a very direct person though. So I would prefer the person just to ask me the question that way. Yeah. Um, what I don't like is either a, someone assuming either way. Does that kind of make sense? So yeah. I think, I think again, though, this goes back to anything like, you know, maybe I would ask you, Hey, I don't really know where you are or if this is even a question I can ask, but if I'm hosting a party, do you mind if there's alcohol there? If you do mind, great. Then I won't have it. If you don't mind, <laughs> great. I won't have you. you might have. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. <laughs> but but you see my point. Yeah. That's a very different question asking you, hey, I'm throwing a party. This is the first time I've ever hostessed where I was inviting you. Is it okay to have alcohol there? Is it not? You know, I don't really care either way, but just let me know. Versus, oh, you're coming to the party is it okay if we have alcohol or you're okay if there's alcohol there, right? Right. right. There's also a different way of asking. It's all about the approach. And I think the same is true with anybody with a disability. It's not, it's not that you can't ask if someone needs help. It's how you're asking them and how you present it and what you're assuming. And also back off if they say no. Yeah. I think, I think that's the one where sometimes people are like, Oh, can I help you? Totally innocent question. Doesn't offend me at all. But then I'll be like, nope, I'm good. I'm fine. And then they'll be like, no, let me help you. And then they try to help. But then most of the time, they're just making it harder yeah. or, or worse. So I think that would be my other message is it's totally okay to ask the question. But if the answer is no, then back off. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And it's a great reminder to people. Once again, it just comes down to manners, being kind. Be, yeah, be kind and take other people's feelings into consideration and respect them either way. And it's it's okay to ask questions. Again, I think it's how you ask it and, and why you're asking it. Are you asking out of morbid curiosity or are you asking because you genuinely care and want to know how that person feels? Yeah, I have one very direct question that I've always wanted to ask you. I mean, I... I actually asked both of you this at one time, but it was the, it was the most I could 
figure out how to say without being totally awkward. I asked you one time about having kids and I was just trying to get a feel for how to be nosy, basically, I think. But, I, you know, I you, get, you needed help being nosy. <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I do have lots of questions. I do ask a lot of questions. But I asked both of you separately. Oh, are you going to have are you going to have kids? So you must have been getting married, you know, or, you know, that's always the next question. And I thought, well, that seems to be in the in the line of questioning. And you both, without hesitation, were like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, how is that going to happen? So, <laughs> you know, but I didn't want to get too personal. But you, the fact that you've now said today that that was the first question, like when you woke up and asked your dad. So can you, because I'm sure there's curious people out there. How does that work? The point is that you don't know what you don't know, right? And I think that even at a young age, I come from a big family too. So the Veers are, you know, they're big, but the Kesslers are, are not, uh, not too shabby. Not, right. not too small. Uh, not too small. Um, and, you know, I also have three older brothers. So when you think about my childhood, I think about it being with siblings, right? Um, and so for me, when I looked forward to the future, I always envisioned having, having kids um, mostly because that's just kind of how I grew up. And the idea of being in a house that was quiet and empty just never really sounded appealing to me. Um, so I think that, like I said, when I knew that part of my future that I had imagined was gone, I think what I was asking is, is everything I had imagined gone? And I think you don't know what you don't know. And that was one of those questions where I was like, well, I know I've lost the ability to walk but how much have I lost? And so I think that was one of the questions that I had was, can I have kids? Because I just didn't know, I, you know, I don't know what all you can't do um, when you can't move your legs. Um, luckily, after spinal cord injury, there's no change in fertility for women. Is there for men? So, there is for men, unfortunately. Um, the fertility rates for men after spinal cord injury do go down. Um, what I can say, though, is that with assisted reproductive technologies, we've gotten a lot better at it. Um, so even even men after spinal cord injury, if they do want to have kids, there are things that we can do to help them um, be able to achieve successful pregnancies. But um, for women, there's actually no change in their fertility, specifically from the spinal cord injury. Now, pregnancy in general is not necessary. Well, sorry. Some people like Russellin love being pregnant. For some of us, being pregnant is not necessarily the, the <laughs> you can say it out loud. Yes. <laughs> like, say it out loud. When, I fell, when I fell over my belly trying to tie my shoes, I was like, oh my God, I've got to go through right. six more so, months of this. Oh, six, six more. Wow. That was early. That was so early. I like so to my, eat. <laughs> so my answer is, is that, um, there are certain things that having a baby while being in a wheelchair are certainly more challenging. Um, there is no actual change in the fertility itself. Did you have to go through fertility treatments to get pregnant? No. No. So you can have sex? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Again, uh, anatomy is not uh, not disrupted from your <laughs> final cord injury. Okay. 
This is like sex education <laughs> for me. <laughs> which, which well, is... you have two kids. You have two kids, so I know you know how it works. <laughs> I've forgotten, though. I tell you that. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think I just broke out into a sweat. Oh my gosh! <laughs> hey, you went there. I'm just answering the questions. <laughs> You're so sweet. So. Did you and Ben have any trouble getting pregnant? Not that you had trouble getting sex. That's not what I meant. Oh, my God. I'm totally schwitzing. Oh. I, don't, I don't know if Ben wants me to answer this question. <laughs> well, my question is... No. Yeah. No, okay. No. Yeah, maybe the spinal cord injury did not affect my ability to get pregnant. And that is my final and answer. We did not, and we did not have to use any assisted reproductive technology. That's awesome. <laughs> because honestly, I... And I didn't need a C-section either. Sorry, I'm gonna, while we're on the topic, wow. I want to throw this out there. Just because you have a spinal cord injury does not mean that you need to have a C-section. So I just want to, you know, that's my soapbox for as the doctor side of me. That's amazing. I would have... And I'm so glad you said that because I didn't think to ask it, but it's probably something I would have wanted to ask after the fact. So are you, you're not paralyzed from the neck down, just from the waist down? Like, where do you not have feeling in your body? Um, well, there's nowhere that I don't have any feeling. I have some feeling. Um, so my level of injury is T12. So that's the very bottom of the spinal cord. So my... Everything down to, you know, just below my belly button is normal. Um, and then below there, the sensation starts to become different. It's not, it's not completely absent, but it's not normal. Um, so you and can still feel I, a little something in your legs or your feet? Yeah, like if you touch my foot, I know you're touching my foot. Um, and <laughs> so I won't you, play footsie with you the next time I see no. you at dinner? Okay. <laughs> well, you can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I mean, I, it's not that I can't feel anything. It's just that it's not normal sensation. Um, same thing. I do have some movement in my legs so I can lift my left, you know, my hip flexors. I can flex my hips a little bit and I can straighten my left leg out a little bit. So I do have some movement, just not enough to be able to walk yeah. um, or stand or stand, but, um, gotcha. but yeah. Well, and it sounds to me like Russlin and Marilyn are going to be very, if they don't know already, that there's more kids, there's more grandkids coming at some point. Not right now. <laughs> Darn it. I thought you might have something well, to. No, absolutely not. Because uh, uh, this podcast be a great time to make an announcement if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> sure. There was an, uh, here's my announcement. Two-year-olds are a lot of fun. Yes, they are. I definitely don't uh, don't need to add another infant to uh, having a two-year-old right now. So you've no. got a lot going on. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm enjoying, and I also I don't know. Everyone always asks as soon as you have the first kid, when's the second one coming? And I I think for me, I'm I'm kind of like, why are you rushing me to not enjoy the one that I have? And yeah. I you know I want to be able to spend some time with her and and really focus on her and and get to know her because she has such a little personality that's coming out. And, you know, I, yes, I want another kid at some point, but I think I'm kind of enjoying this phase of just kind of getting to know her and bond with her. And, yeah, you know, as soon as you get pregnant with the second one, you don't mean to, but your attention, you know, has to become divided. Right. 
Um, yeah. So I think I'm not I'm not ready to divide the attention yet. Good. I'm glad you're in, enjoying her. She is. She should be enjoyed because she's hilarious <laughs> and beautiful and just precious. Just in the essence of saving time here, I'm going to do our rapid fire round and ask you these questions right here. You ready? Sure. Favorite sound. Favorite sound. Oh, I don't know. Music. I'm not going to be good at this. Favorite. I'm very bad. <laughs> you're you're good at being spontaneous. <laughs> no. Favorite smell? Oh, cookies? Like in the oven? Worst feeling in the world? Pain? What's your favorite word? Hi. It's Brooke saying hi, hi, hi. hi. Least hi. favorite word? Brooke saying no, no, no. <laughs> favorite food? Cheese. Favorite wine? Chardonnay. I wanted to know that personally. <laughs> Favorite quality in a friend? Loyalty. Favorite quality in yourself? Honesty and loyalty. <laughs> if you could master one skill right now, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. That's a hard question. Can it be an imaginary skill? Sure. <laughs> Flying. <laughs> That's awesome. Would you rather discover something great and share it or discover something evil and prevent it? Great and share it because I don't think you can ever prevent evil. Hmm. I like that answer. If you had to do it over again, what would you study in school? Same thing. Or maybe veterinary medicine? Veterinary medicine. No, that's too sad. I don't want to put puppies down. <laughs> mm, I agree. What would you, or what did you study that has proven to be the least useful? What about that? Organic chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Good to know in case I want to do continuing education. No organic chemistry. Uh, if you're in a bad mood, do you prefer to be left alone or have someone cheer you up? People. I'm not good at being, if I'm left alone for too long, I stew in my own <laughs> sadness. Yeah, me too. <laughs> when you're not feeling happy, what stands in the way of your feeling happy again? Myself. Good answer. If you could trade lives with one of your friends, male or female, who would it be? I like my life. <laughs> good. That's awesome. What do you do to have fun or relax? Um, I like to swim. I like to be with friends. I think my favorite thing is having people over to my house and having wine and cheese and Cookies. cheese and some more cheese. And I, I like to, I like to hostess and see my friends enjoying things that I've provided for them. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Like I like people to be enjoying the things that I give them and, and I like to be able to really talk to people. And that's sometimes hard, as you know, in the big chaotic veer clanness or same thing if you go out somewhere. So I really like having people over and just kind of relax in my living room and yeah. have Brooke run around and kind of do tell. that. So I can tell. That's my and favorite. I, yeah. And I've had the, the, the pleasure and the luxury of being able to do that with you guys, even at your parents, you know, at the farm and stuff. Some of my favorite times in the last couple of summers, just coming out for the day and hanging. You just know, that, just hanging yeah. out by the pool and have everyone there and eating watermelon. And exactly. That, that's my favorite. Laughing that's my best way to run stories. And yeah, to the kids. yeah. Who is the most influential person in your life today? Um, work or home. I don't know. <laughs> you could pick a couple people who are the, um, the most influential people in your life. I mean, at home would be my parents. 
Um, and at work, I would say my, my mentor. Uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Flying. Oh, 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 wait, but time travel, but not, I don't see this is, can I caveat this? Sure. You can, so. It's my podcast. You can do whatever you want. Excellent. I love the rules. So, <laughs> so I, I love history. I'm a huge history nerd. So I actually originally was studying history of science as my, as my undergraduate uh, concentration or major. Um, but I love history. And so time travel to me would be so fascinating to be able to like stand in one spot and go back in time and see what it looked like. But, and this is where I get to like, I would not want to be able to change anything because then you have to talk about butterfly effect and you change something and then you go back and then you, you would always feel the need to keep trying to go back and change something. And then I feel like it would become all consuming. So I would only want time travel if I could change nothing and just see be an things, observer. just be, be an observer, passive observer. Correct. If I could time travel, but I would have to, you know, but it would affect things. Then I don't want to do that. Then flying. Well, if you figure out a way to do that, I'll go. If you get a companion pass, I'll it'd go be there. fun, right? I would love to do that. But That's when I lived in London. Sometimes I would stand there and be looking at these old buildings and I'd be like, wouldn't it be so cool to stand in this one exact spot and just be able to start going backwards in time Yeah, and just stand there and like kind of watch it all change. I just thought it would be so fascinating. I think about that a lot when I'm at museums, like I'm standing in front of these original masterpieces and I think to myself, wow, Van Gogh sat in front of this very That's what I mean. Canvas. So just to see that and 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 yeah yeah i'd love that okay a couple more what do you think keeps people stuck or impedes their ability to heal the most fear my burning question for somebody in a wheelchair has always been this do you when you're asleep when you dream do you dream about walking or dancing or running do you dream about yourself in that way um Yes and no. So, um, you know, your dream self is kind of how you picture yourself, right? Um, so I have to say that, you know, maybe for the first 10 years after my injury, I almost always exclusively dream, dreamt um, with myself uh, as sort of before the injury in terms of being able to walk and all of those things. Um and then it kind of shifted more towards it would usually be so yeah I would say now not as much um, it's a little bit different now it's kind of maybe eighty twenty the other direction mm-hmm. so it's it's changed over time maybe where you are as far as your acceptance of how you see yourself sounds like yeah yeah probably awesome. Speaking of dreams, what is your dream? What are you wanting or what are you ready to bring into the world? You know, I'm I'm really happy with what I'm doing at work right now. I think that um, when I kind of looked at my career, I'm kind of ahead of where I thought I would be at the moment. So I think I'm pretty excited with that. I think, you know, I'm still, that being said, very young in my career and kind of low man on the totem pole. Um, so I, I hope to continue to work in the field that I'm working in and be able to kind of um, progress and take on more responsibility and more ability to create um, and implement things as I gain more experience going forward. Um, and yes, at some point, I would like to have another kid, just not right now. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> so I will I will hopefully put into the world another little beer. <laughs> oh, I hope so. All right, last two questions. What would you do or how would you live differently if you knew no one would judge you? Oh, um, um I don't know. Is there anything that you would love to try, even as a paraplegic, that that you might try but you'd be fearful in the sense that if somebody saw you trying it, they would make fun of you or judge you for, for trying. No, I would just yell at them. (laughs) (laughs) I was expecting you to say that. frankly. (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, I think there are things that I'm too scared to try. Like I think skydiving is fascinating, but I don't want to hurt myself any more than I already am. So I don't particularly want to do that. If that makes sense. Yeah. I I think the thing (laughs) that, that answer doesn't surprise me at all because I feel like if there's anything that you would, if there's anything that Allison wanted to do, she would try to do it and not worry about other people judging her. I think uh, the sleds that uh, people play sled hockey on, mm-hmm. do you know what sled hockey is? Yeah. So I think if I got one of those sleds and could go ice skating with my kid around the bean on that sled, I think people would probably look at me funny. But <laughs> but it would be and great to watch I, you I do might that. be a little embarrassed, but I would probably still try it. <laughs> All right. Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? Um, I want to be a good physician and I want to be a good mom. And I want, I want people to recognize how much I care. And I think that sometimes I put up a very strong outer shell, like nothing bothers me and everything's fine and I don't need anybody or whatever. And that's kind of how I am and sometimes how I cope with things. But as I said, on the inside, I'm kind of a big soft goo ball. Yeah. And I, I try really hard both in my personal life and in my work life just to do a good job and make people happy. And I try to go out of my way to be kind and to, to go the extra mile. And I'd like to be remembered as somebody who went the extra mile for people. Yeah, I think you're known for that now, so I don't think you'll have a problem being remembered for it. <laughs> I think that's that's how we know you to be, Allison. So I hope so. It does sometimes it doesn't feel that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. A lot of sense. Well, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thanks again for being on the show and for making yourself so vulnerable. I think it's gonna help a lot of people. And I know it's helped me and I love you even more because of it for doing this i'm glad that we had a chance to just catch up because i do love you dearly and for anyone listening today who wants to talk more about what you've heard here today please don't hesitate to reach out you can email me at humor me with mo at gmail.com or if you just need to talk period you can reach out and email me at that address you can also start a dialogue in the comment section of any bite of courage episode or in the comment section of any humor me with mo article on my blog humor me with mo so that is a wrap be the best you can be and i'll see you guys next week and allison i will see you soon have a good one all right love you i'll talk to you soon love you too Bye. bye everyone for tuning into my podcast bite of courage to learn more about my guests you can go to biteofcourage.com or go to my website humormewithmo.com. with mo.com
where I also post weekly articles about finding humor in life's absurdities. Until next time, be bold, be daring, be brave, and take a bite of courage. This is a Trio production, all rights reserved.